sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Fantasy sports today here on this Friday as we get you ready for the fantasy football weekend. We'll recap Thursday night as well. I'm Craig Mish along with Joe Pizapia. We'll have our picks coming up a little bit later in the show, both in DFS and in the Westgate Super Contest, so make sure you stay tuned to that, as well as some baseball news to get to today, surprisingly here on the show. Joe, we've got some players looking for work, not some, a lot, and uh, a a manager who uh, basically had not been looking for work is... uh, not going to have to, at least for, I think, a couple of years in this bizarre 2020. Didn't see this one coming. No, I don't think anybody did. And uh, certainly no one could argue he's a Hall of Fame manager with the greatest baseball minds ever. And uh, one of the older managers ever. And he's going to have a young team there to basically mold. It's a fascinating hire. I know we're going to hear a little bit of Tony Lewis himself right here on the program in a little bit. So the White Sox went out there with the young team. And decided to go out there and get grandpa to go out there and teach him how to go play. And it's fascinating. I mean, we've seen older managers work with younger teams before, just like your Marlins back in the day with Black Jack McKee. And that's the one that always sticks out to me. So it's not like sometimes the young kids don't respond to the old uh, veteran kind of dude. Yeah, and we'll see what happens this time around. Certainly fascinating. Let's get to our highlights here on this Friday. Uh, Falcons beat the Panthers on Thursday night football and uh, watched a little bit of this game. Not my 10 out of 10 game, I would say, for sure. Uh, Panthers did not play well at all in this game. Uh, Tony LaRusa hired as White Sox manager second time around for him. Of course, he's been out of the managing era for what about uh, since 2011 I think when the Cardinals won the World Series I think he was done at that point Hall of Fame not particularly happy by the way with LaRusa coming back with a comment saying we thought he was done we put him in the Hall of Fame uh Trevor Lawrence test positive for COVID-19 they're hoping Lawrence could be back on the field for the Notre Dame game that's a very big game for them I'm not sure that they can beat Notre Dame without Trevor Lawrence, even with Clemson being as good as they are. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Uh, Giants having uh, members back at their facility today. I did see ESPN report a couple of different teams had COVID issues today. Denver and Minnesota, I think, were the two teams Mm -hmm. mentioned. We'll see what that means for this coming weekend. But as we discussed, the new manager of the Chicago White Sox is Tony La Russa, a guy who has been very outspoken about the game, competitiveness of the game, serious manager in the game. So how is this going to mesh with all the bat flipping and high-fiving and low-fiving and everything else? He talked about that at his press conference yesterday. Carlton Fisk, uh, you know, challenged Deion Sanders, you know. Um, I do believe at the basis uh, that, that sportsmanship is important. Respect for the game and your opponents. I do believe in that. You know, you don't run up the score, things like that. But here's what I see different. Um, every year, and this has been going on for a while, it even went on when I was managing, there's more and more attention being paid to uh, who does good and who does bad in the game. I mean, you don't do anything right or wrong uh, in a clutch moment that you don't get celebrated for or criticized for. So I've seen how that has impacted players emotionally. A great example was Eck all those years when he had that very expressive fist pump when he got the third out. Uh, That's a lot like what you see today. And I always reasoned it that if it's sincere, I didn't have a problem with it. 
And what I see now is that with players that are being more exuberant, I take, uh, you know, Anderson, Tim Anderson, for an example. Uh, now it's, it's people showing that, hey, I'm coming through. Uh, in fact, Major League Baseball is, in, is, in, in, uh, is encouraging them to do so. And if I see that it's sincere and it's directed towards the game, uh, that's displaying, displaying the kind of emotion that you want. You know, as a, as a coach, what you want to do is you want to get players passionately involved with the competition. And if you do that, that's how you, you get exciting games, you're entertaining. So the fact that now that we're encouraging players to be more expressive you know, I, I, I'm going to treat like Tim, for example, part of the family. And, uh, and you know, the only thing I say, and, and uh, even some of the people I talk to, if, if, if your team celebrates and that their team celebrates, then neither team can be upset when, when, when you see celebrations, as long as everybody's doing it sincerely. All right, Joe, buckle up. Tony LaRusso here. Uh, <laughs> I like well, it. Well, I, don't uh, I, I don't know where you stand. By. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I, I grew up with the and fell in love with baseball with the mid 80s fist pumping curtain call taking and other people's stadiums, New York Mets. So what I remember very fondly about those A's teams with LaRusso was Eckersley and the fist pumping and how that turned a lot of people off. But he's right. It was genuine. It was emotional. It was guys connected to the game. It wasn't just showing off for the sake of it. They were living in the moment of that. And I kind of like that. He also had some interesting comments uh, not on that clip about how he sort of evolved his thinking too about some of the social injustice protests and things like that. And I think that I think it's always great when somebody can take something, have an opinion about it, and then evolve certain opinions about things. And Tony LaRusso is showing on a myriad of different fronts that he can do that. And I think that's great because I think what it does is it teaches the kids a little bit of gravitas. And it also shows him that, hey, there's stuff that I can learn from these kids. And I think that's a fascinating combination potentially for the White Sox here. And I can't wait to see it in full display next spring. Yeah, I saw I saw Tony uh, a couple of years ago when Boston came to Miami. He was with the Red Sox. And I've known Tony for a long time. And, and I asked him, like, what are you doing? Like, you're now the special assistant to Boston? Like, and, and I'm like, you're just going to keep doing this? Like, have you ever thought about, like, when it's over? And he said, Craig, if I stop, I wouldn't know what else to do. <laughs> I thought that was funny. It's true. We'll be back with more fantasy sports today right after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, welcome back to Fantasy Sports today. I do want to get to this football game here in a minute, but going back to what we were talking about two minutes ago, I just want to wrap this. I feel like we didn't wrap it enough. I, I think that with Larusa getting hired, Joe, by by the White Sox, and I, the only thing that I want to say is this: Does it make it more interesting for us? Yes, right? Is there is there really does anything else matter? <laughs> like, like I, that's the way that I was thinking about this. Like, I don't know how it's going to turn out for him. I don't know if he's going to win. I don't know if he's going to lose. I just know that for baseball purposes and the purposes of what we do, it's better that he's the manager than not. 
right? Oh, like yeah. that, that's kind of the way that I look oh, at it, right? I mean, I, well, when is baseball not better off for having great minds and great personalities in it? He's both. He's always been both. You know, some people think he's very low key. I think he's an excellent personality in baseball too. I always think he has interesting things to say, and he's got a strong opinion about a lot of things. And he's never left the game. So, I mean, this is already a winning team. This is a team that was in the playoffs. This is a team that. Right. I think everybody views as one of the more exciting teams going into this past season. I think they did deliver on exactly what they were supposed to. I, he's inheriting a really good offense, a bright yes. young ace. Now, all of a sudden, like you've got some real talent here. And to give that kind of knowledge base that Tony La Russa brings from his, what, like 40 plus years in the game now? I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it's somewhere around that number, four decades at least. How is that not useful to these guys? Uh, and whether it's the 22-year-old kid or, or the 35-year-old guy in that clubhouse, I think it's going to be a, a great story, if nothing else, going in. And you and I both right. like a good story. So That's it. I mean, that, that's it. I, I don't know how it's all going to turn out. My guess is they'll surround him with people uh, on the analytics side. And, and, you know, he'll pick his own bench coach. I know he ain't going to let them do that. But but there'll be people that'll that'll help him. I think he'll be open to it. I'm guessing he took the job also by knowing – uh, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf and Rick Hahn probably said to him, hey, look, you know, this is kind of how it's going to be a little bit here. If you take the gig, um, you can't argue that he's one of the best managers of all time. I mean, that that's unequivocal. He's in the Hall of Fame. Um, the Hall of Fame, not too happy. Uh, Joe, as you said during the break, they got to change his plaque now. I don't I think maybe that's the reason. Why, maybe that's <laughs> yeah, the reason why. It's it by I don't you. know. It, it's, I don't know. Here's another question, too. And and. I can't remember the timeline. You know, I'm old now. This is what happens. And you probably remember better than me. He was there in Arizona for a certain period of time. Was that yes. the same period of time where AJ Hinch was the manager? No. Okay. It no. wasn't an overlap no. there. Okay. I wasn't sure if that was no. like who had left when and when, when in the organization that that's, that was, uh, I was just throwing that out there. Cause we were talking about that earlier yesterday about whether no, or not it was, not, it, was it was either, it was either uh Tori Lovello for he may have had Lavello for a year. I, I, I want to say it was Kirk Gibson. I remember Kirk Gibson, Gibson there too. Yeah, I just like I yeah, said, I don't wonderful. remember how long he was in the front office at that time, or or what relationships are. I just know Hinch was in Arizona. He was in Arizona, but it, it all kind of you know runs together after a certain while. I know you're more tied into the organizations than I certainly am. Uh, sure. I want to I want to say Gibson. I, I want to say it was Gibson. I I, I believe it was, but uh, you know. But again, I, I would have to check that. But either way, mm -hmm. I look, th this is one where it's like I have a relationship with the person. So it's hard for me to just and I understand some of the negativity that's out there with all the things that are being said. And they're all fair comments, too. But this is a good story. And I think that mm -hmm. I want to ride a good story here on Sports Grid. So that's what we'll do. <laughs> it's not like we have a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. I enjoy that part of, of seeing it and wondering is this going to be a train wreck or is this going to be great? Like, and I, and I think right. that that's, that's either way, it's a good story. story. It's a good story. Way, that's, a good that's story. what we need. Right. Okay. Now, here's a bad story. You were forced to watch Thursday Night Football. It did not work out on any level, uh, really, from start to finish. Okay, let's look at our standouts. I started Teddy Bridgewater. Fortunately for me in the league that I'm playing in, I do not lose points for picks. So I ended up getting my 15 points from Teddy Bridgewater. I guess it could have been worse. I guess it could have been better from a fantasy perspective. But reality perspective is Teddy did not look good. Matt Ryan, 21 of 30, decided to rush the ball all night. I'm not sure why. 281 passing yards, a touchdown, a pick. He got a rushing touchdown in my other league. I have Ryan. So could have been better. Could have been worse. It was fine. Uh, Todd Gurley. I don't know. It is amazing to me that Todd Gurley is leading the NFL in rushing touchdowns. I mean, 
Eight. What what a story. <laughs> what a story. I mean, that, that is just incredible. And he looks terrible rushing the ball. Yeah. He gets the ball. He runs out of bounds after three yards. Like, I don't even think he's interested in playing. But keeps getting fantasy points. It is unarguable mm-hmm. at this point. I mean, get you 10 fantasy points looking terrible every week. Uh, but there he is, and he's healthy, and he's playing, so can't complain. Curtis Samuel scored a couple touchdowns on the ground. Julio Jones had a big game. Calvin Ridley did not. He got hurt. So that's yeah. really, I, I think, maybe the biggest takeaway from all this is that Ridley has been a star in fantasy and has worked his way into mm-hmm. that you know, Godwin Evans last year conversation. Like you could oh, take yeah. either guy in the late first round, second round, and 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 like this fantasy football season has done to us, it's taken away another one of our stars. You'll you'll hope that he's back because of the extra time, but that's definitely an alarm going off for people who own Ridley right now. That's for sure. Yeah, and look, the x-rays were negative, uh, so that's a good thing for Ridley, but certainly a moment where it's, you know, this is crunch time for season-long fantasy, and not having Ridley on the field for four quarters is tough. I did watch every snap of this game. I watched the first half last night and then ran back second half this morning on the good old You cannot DVR argue with me that that was – you cannot say that was a good game played. You, there's no – No, it wasn't you, you a good game. Well, I, I think no. the elements had a lot to do with the gameplay yesterday, too. There was some really bad rain in that game, and I think it kind of affected things a little bit. Uh, there were a lot of takeaways, though, for me. Uh, I think you're right about Todd Gurley. He doesn't show, you know, it's funny. As soon as you see Brian Hill in there run the football, you see the burst of a running back. And it's yeah, something that Todd it's Gurley just has no burst anymore. Now, the problem is Brian Hill drops balls and Brian Hill also has some other issues oh, yeah, there. Good either. Yeah. And and uh, the other takeaway in terms of Gurley goes this is that when you see when he, they do have a hole for him, it's fine. It's when they don't or the hole is small. He doesn't have what he used to have where he could burst through that smaller window which is actually funny because I went back to look at some of the Rams footage from like the first two years or so of Todd Gurley. And you could see, man, he did this much room. Boom. He would go right through guys because of the burst he had. He doesn't have that anymore. He keeps falling in the end zone, which is great. He actually missed a good chunk of this game where people were speculating. I know on the sideline, if he was okay, if the knee was bothering him, and then they brought him back in and it was a lot of him in the fourth quarter. I thought the Carolina defense did a pretty good job actually in the first half of bending and not breaking. They kept holding Atlanta to those field goals, which I think is, again, we keep talking about this Carolina defense being young. This was a good, I think, performance for them mostly. And against an offense, it's really difficult to guard because that zone that they play, it really allowed you know Julio Jones to sit down all these different parts, and he was just eating them up, basically. Uh, Matt Ryan did miss a couple opportunities there in the end zone, kind of like he did the last couple weeks, which is a little troubling in terms of fantasy. It's frustrating because there were a couple touchdowns there, too, specifically, that they could have had in that first half, but he just basically missed the guy or didn't see where the open man was, and one of them was Ridley in one of those spots. So that was very frustrating from a fantasy standpoint. I also want to point out, too, in that Teddy Bridgewater moment where he got hurt there, that cheap shot that they mm-hmm. took on him after they tripped him, fell down, and they hit him. Did you see yep. the immediate reaction of the offensive line, Craig? Because that was the immediate thing that you expected a couple weeks ago with Andy Dalton and his offensive line, his teammates, right? Where's Dallas there? Nobody's showing up. Nobody's starting anything. Uh, I know a buddy of mine, big Steelers guy, he said, if they ever did that to Ben Roethlisberger, Pouncey would basically have to get arrested. Like something would happen. You know, where are your guys stepping up and defending your guys there on a cheap shot? And I thought that was very telling. And it tells a lot about what the guys think of Bridgewater. And I also thought that despite everything going on in that game, that I thought the play calling was very good. Some of the execution wasn't good. They didn't get DJ Moore involved enough. That's been the special sauce the last few weeks of this offense. He's been more active in that offense. It took him to the fourth quarter. I think there was one minute 30 before he had his first catch in the game. That cannot be. You cannot do that. 
But I thought, and I thought this the last couple of weeks too, the play calling of Joe Brady, I think has been very good. They've gotten the most out of the play calling. And I would not be surprised if Joe Brady is a guy going forward in 2021 that gets a lot of interviews at the very least for head coaching positions. Yeah, I agree with the last statement, but we just saw completely different games. I thought Carolina played horrible. I, I thought they played terrible. I thought they played bad on offense. I thought they got bailed out by Raheem Morris on defense with this guy just constantly kicking field goals, opening drive of the game, fourth and one on the two, kicks a field goal. I thought they got bailed out. I was really disappointed with the way that Carolina played. If you're a playoff team, that's a game that you win. By the way, even if you don't win, it's a game you play close. Like I mean, Atlanta kind of dominated that game from start to finish. Anytime I see a team kicking five field goals, it means that, that you know they basically got unlucky on third down and third down conversions or, or you know, some there's skill involved there too, of course, when it's third and six, third and seven, but Atlanta was just playing to win that game or he Morris playing to eke out that game. Uh, and he did, and he did, but I was disappointed with Carolina. So we see it a little different. We'll be right back with the update and then more. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. No practice for Joe Mixon again this week. Looks like he's going to miss his second straight game, and Giovanni Bernard will get his second straight start. It'll come against... The Tennessee Titans at home this week, so we'll see if the Bengals can continue to get that offensive mojo going. The problem has been their defense, and the problem has been a lot of lost a lot of close games late. So usually, when that starts to happen, does it change the psyche of the team? Does that change things for the Bengals? We'll see this week, but no Joe Mixon, who has really been good for them this season. Now he's missed two straight games. He'll miss two straight games. All right, so time for fantasy by the numbers, Joe and. Where are we going to start here? I guess we're going to start off uh, with uh, Seattle to start. We'll get into a little Pittsburgh, talk about the Tennessee Titans, and uh, certainly we'll move on to some of the uh, Cleveland uh, defensive prowess this season. Yeah, and the first number is 224. That's the number of yards given up by the Seattle D to wide receivers, just wide receivers over the last 10 games. That's a very high number. Now, for San Francisco, they have Debo Samuel out of this game, but I think it means that if you look at what's remaining there, and that means Brandon Ayuk, and that also means Kendrick Bourne, who's probably available in a lot of leagues. We kind of touched on him earlier. Both those guys in DFS this week are very useful. Both of them are underpriced in terms of value. And, of course, George Kittle's earmarked for a big game, too. The Seattle D has been really bad, but specifically the cornerback play has been terrible. And I think when you see that number of 224, it means that you just basically attack that number because it's such a high number. And even if you don't love Garoppolo as a quarterback, even if you don't love the wide receivers, I think you learn their lesson. When you see numbers like that, just like when you see numbers like Dallas has given you so far, it means that if you have Washington players, you play all the Washington players. You play Gibson. You play anybody, Logan Thomas, whoever you've got, you play them. And I think this is the same kind of scenario here. So I would not be shy about Ayuk. I would not be shy about Kendrick Bourne. I'd be starting both of those guys with a fair amount of confidence, actually, in this game. Yeah, it, it's really remarkable that we still look at Seattle's D. And if you don't follow it closely, and, and the average person does not, thinks of Seattle as having this great defense because they had those Super Bowl runs with Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor and, and you know, all those players I just mentioned have a chance to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I think. Uh, but at this point, they don't have any of those guys, and it has not gone well for them. And it is reasonable to think 
that Jimmy G could feast a little bit this week against Seattle. Speaking of which, predicting, Joe, who is going to be the guy in Pittsburgh on a week-to-week basis has been impossible. Juju Smith-Schuster has been the second-half target in all of Pittsburgh's games. Doesn't do much in the first half. They lean on him in the second half. Really hasn't been much out of the tight end position. And then you're flipping a coin at a wide receiver. Yeah, but statistically speaking, I mean, the number 15, that's the number of targets for Deontay Johnson last week. And Deontay Johnson, when he has been healthy and on the field, is getting a ton of targets. Where Week one, week two, you go back and you look at all the game log, and then he's had the injury issues, and then you saw the pivot to Claypool. But just because of Claypool's great games, it doesn't mean Deontay Johnson is not startable. And that means in this game against the Baltimore Ravens, too, because I think a lot of people have hesitation here. They'll see this matchup here and go, oh, my goodness, who is it? Is it Juju? Is it Claypool? Is it Johnson? You have to start him for better or worse, because when Deontay Johnson has been on the field and healthy, he is seeing targets. And the guys who see targets, they have the opportunity for fantasy points. You can't turn that down, even when the matchup looks bad, even if a guy has been frustrating. And I know he's always banged up, it seems. But as long as he is on that field, he has to be a must start. And I know it's been a frustrating run. And I can tell you because I've got a ton of shares of this guy. But I am very frustrated. I didn't start him last week because I had a little bit of a, a clay pool hangover and a little worried about him. And I was dead wrong, and I want everybody out this week to not make that same mistake twice. So fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So there you go. Deontay Johnson, get him in your lineups. Well, first of all, two things. Number one, he hasn't practiced this week also. So got to make sure that he's playing this week before if you go that again, route. Again, if he's in, you start him. Right. That's my point. No, and, and, and second of all, to this point, Second of all, he's been a bust. I mean, he he has been a bust. Anybody that has, has thought that he was going to be a thing – for whatever, I mean, he's been as bust, uh, big a bust as uh, you know anybody that was taken where he was taken in a draft uh, based on ineffectiveness and injury. Is he Saquon Barkley bust? No, because Barkley got hurt, second pick in the draft, out for the year. Uh, but look, he was a very hot name during draft season, and he just is, is one guy that has not worked out. He's had two good games all year. Uh, Washington has had a good game when he's been out. Claypool has had a good game when he's been out. And and look, I if he is playing this week, yeah, I mean, I could see that scenario happening, but it is Friday and we are at 1230 Eastern. And until I see that that he's going to be in there, especially for DFS, because I don't have him in a season long league. I ain't playing this guy until I know he's playing this week. All right. Now, on the flip side, we know Derrick Henry is playing, Joe. It's just a matter of how many carries he gets on a week to week basis. And uh, month of November is going to be here for Derrick Henry. And usually that goes up. Yeah, and 19-plus is the number we're talking about here, and that is the number of average carries for Derrick Henry, just carries the last three games. And that is a big number compared to most other running backs in the NFL at this stage of what the NFL is. So there's not a lot of guys out there that are going to touch the ball 20 times a game, let alone carry the ball 20. And it's something to keep in mind this week when on FanDuel, he is top of the board, right? 9K, you're going to have to pay for him over on FanDuel, and you have to look at the matchup, and it is a great one against Cincinnati, uh, defense that has struggled mightily over the last, well, let's be honest, over the last couple of years. So I think that you look at that number, and you can take solace in that number and understand that, look, you're going to get that chance. There's that opportunity always with Todd Gurley for that big run, but you know at minimum there's somewhere around 100 yards and a touchdown that's probably likely in this game for him. And feel good about always the volume of Todd, Ger- uh, excuse me, of uh, Derrick Henry, and also going forward into next year too with Derrick Henry, understanding that you might invest in that volume again, and maybe invest over it, maybe some other players that have a little bit more upside, just for the weekly floor of a guy who is that involved and basically is the focal point of his offense at running back, which nowadays they're few and far between. 
Yeah, and if we were in 2021 and the season ended today, Derrick Henry would probably be the second pick overall in fantasy drafts. But again, got to play out the rest of the season. There's no question he's been healthy, he's been effective, and he gets everything near the goal line, and he gets everything on first and second down. So fair assessment there. Okay, now let's move on to the Cleveland pass defense. And Joe, they have certainly had their work cut out for them. Yeah, uh, right now the number is 38.2, and that is the number of the average pass attempts allowed by the Cleveland defense over the last nine games, and that is 30th, okay? So you're throwing the ball on Cleveland. It's something we've talked about quite a bit. It's something you saw Pittsburgh do. It's something I think you're going to see Las Vegas do. Now what complicates the situation here is the potential for some high wins in this game coming off the river. So keep that in mind here. But regardless, if you are getting Henry Ruggs in your lineup, I think it's very smart to look at that because there's a lot of potential here. Darren Waller's always a must-start, obviously, in season-long, but in DFS, I think this week in FanDuel, he becomes very interesting because of how much you can throw and how much you're probably going to throw. And let's be honest, Josh Jacobs hasn't been great. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, Brian Edwards might be back this week. Basically, if you're looking to stream some guys off the waiver wire this week, if you've had some injuries, some unfortunate stuff going on, or bye weeks, whatever it is, and you didn't get your pickups, this is a game you could possibly stream with some of these guys in Las Vegas and make it work. But I think this is a week, too, where you really look strongly at uh, Waller in terms of uh, FanDuel and also in terms of Henry Ruggs, potentially, too. There's a lot of upside against Cleveland. All right, and then finally, let's move on to the Tennessee Titans. And and look, a big part of why they got so far last year in the playoffs, Joe, was because of Derrick Henry. But the other part was their defense played so well under uh, Mike Rabel. What has gone on with their defense this year? They can't stop anybody. No, they can't. The number is 2.1. So the average passing touchdowns per game from the Tennessee defense. Again, that's passing touchdowns, just passing over the last 10 games, that ranks 27th. It has not been good. And they have some talent on this defense. I mean, there are some real good players here and some players that you want in your IDP leagues that you probably have. It's been a really frustrating year, I think, for the Tennessee Titans on the defensive side. Offenses look great. Defense hasn't been so much. And in this matchup with Joe Burrow, Right now with Joe Mixon out, the whole point is, okay, Gio Bernard can catch the ball to the backfield. We know that. But it's also a matter of it's always Higgins. It's always Boyd. I think you can even in desperation this week go back to A.J. Green coming off the decent week. You might have no choice potentially. But I think when you see how many touchdowns this this defense is giving up, uh, I think you have to really consider just basically going all in with all those guys. And it also means Joe Burrow is a really good investment too. So this is kind of that game to stack. I'm sure Jim's going to talk about it later on the show, but this is the one where it's really hard not to see a high total coming from this game because of where both defenses are. And basically the quarterback play has been pretty good from both of these guys. So I think that's a combination you always look for. And I think when you take Mixon away and you make them have to throw the ball a little bit more against an, a defense that's giving up so many passing touchdowns, so many passing yards, so many attempts, it's a really good fantasy combination, even if it's just in DFS. But in season long, too, I think you consider Higgins for sure as a start, obviously. But I think A.J. Green is right on that border, too, where you have to flex him. I think he can this week. Let's say if you're missing guys like Hopkins, you're missing some of those guys that are on by. I think sometimes desperate times call for desperate measures, and at least the data is telling you there's opportunity here. Yeah, you would think that that game uh, could be high scoring for sure between those two teams. Cincinnati basically hasn't stopped anyone uh, all season, so it, w- it would seem to make a lot of sense there. Just a quick update here. We'll do our start sits coming up in about five minutes from now, so make sure you stay on the grid. The Jets, uh, Adam Gase, their head coach, said not looking good for Jamison Crowder this week. So a second week, uh, Joe, of not having Crowder 
Uh, we mm -hmm. saw Denzel Mims get a little bit of playing time uh, last week. I know it's him and Perryman on the outsides. Maybe maybe Mims is more a part of this offense moving forward too. Another player to keep an eye on. Yeah, he might have to be. And it was a pretty good first showing out of the gate for him. It was a bad showing for Sam Darnold. What you're looking here for the Jets is some garbage time. You would imagine yeah. that Kansas City is going to have their way with them. So maybe there's some time late third or, you know, throughout the fourth quarter where maybe guys like P. Ryan, guys like Mims get some opportunities here where they're just having to throw the ball downfield. That's the best case scenario from a fantasy standpoint. And um, clearly, I think Perriman's another guy to put in that mix. But look, Mims was somebody I think you and I both like coming into this year and has only got to see him one game. So this is another opportunity here. But I would jump on it now just in case he does have a good game because if Crowder's injuries continue to linger, that's going to be more opportunities for Mims going forward. And we all know that the Jets are probably going to be behind in most contests. Yeah, and this one especially, you would think. The line is huge, clearly. Uh, but again, you're looking at a 19-point spread, 20-point spread, you would think – that the Jets are still going to score a touchdown or two in this game. All right, we'll take a quick break here on the show. We've got Start Sit coming up next. We'll go through every position in fantasy. What do you do this week? We'll tell you next right here on Fantasy Sports Today. Stay right there. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Decisions are getting tougher in fantasy. Not the decisions to start or sit. The decisions to who you have on your team at this point. There have been so many injuries in the 2020 season, you're just hoping to get volume from anyone and everyone in your fantasy league. And in a critical week this week, Joe, coming up, a lot of questions to be asked for sure. And in terms of the running back position, there is no doubt deep dives are being done to see if you can get 15 touches from a guy, 20 mm -hmm. touches from a guy somehow to get you 10, 15 fantasy points. It's, it's maybe the difference between winning and losing this year. No, it definitely is. And volume is hard to come by. So I think you really have to look at your scoring. And if you're playing in standard or full point or half point PPR, make your decisions based on that, based on what those offenses look like and what those guys look like in those offenses, in those roles. And even that week to week can change. Just look at the first two guys in this list and it's the Rams. Who else could it possibly be? Oh, the weekly, what do we do with the Rams? And I'll tell you for Daryl Henderson, I think he's the start because of that volume. In the PPR leagues especially, you take your shot there with him. He does have the opportunity to break a touchdown, but he's going to have to break one in order to score one. Otherwise, in standard leagues, I actually think Malcolm Brown has some startability, if that's even a word. If not, I just made it up, and that's okay, too. I would start him as a All flex right. in the standard league, but in terms of PPR, I think you don't. Miles Gaskin, I know we don't know what Tua is with this offense from Miami, but I think I would take the flyer and throw him out there and see. And that goes basically in all leagues and just kind of see as a flex play what this offense looks like under him and if Miles Gaskin can kind of jive with him. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, as long as he is, and it looks like he is probably the main guy so far as of right this very second, uh, Hasty is interesting for sure. We'll see what Tevin Coleman does or does not bring here. But McKinnon getting rested last week basically is a big red flag to me that says, hey, we're saving him for this game because we could not afford to not have him in this game against Seattle. So I would expect him to be active. He's a start. DeAndre Swift, tough one. I'm on the fence. If I have somebody else better because it's Indianapolis, I might look elsewhere. If you don't, 
I think you look and you hope to get double digits. Le'Veon Bell, I think, is only a start in a standard league because I do think he is going to have a touchdown this game. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Craig, but it feels like uh, Le'Veon Bell has been waiting for a few weeks to score a touchdown against Adam Gase. But in PPR leagues, I think I would fade away from him a little bit. Joshua Kelly, I would be sitting at Denver. And Boston Scott versus Dallas, you have to start everybody against Dallas. We learned that lesson last week. So how about you? You think Le'Veon Bell gets that touchdown today? Or I should say Sunday? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would, I would say so. I, I think that there's a good shot at getting ten points from Le'Veon Bell. So I would say that you could do worse. Yeah, I'd probably start him this week. Kelly would be a no for me if Sanders plays. Is Sanders playing this week at Dallas? I mean, that's something I haven't heard a lot about this week. If Sanders plays, I'm out on Scott. I would not play him. I would play Swift against Indianapolis, regardless. Uh, I'm out on McKinnon completely. And I would not start him at all. I'd play Hasty. Um, Coleman doesn't look like he's going to play. I guess according to the report this morning, but I, I, I don't know. I, I just I, I don't know. I, I understand what you're saying with McKinnon. I just don't agree with it. I don't think that they're saving him for anything. I think if they thought that he could play, well, then why were you arresting him. him last week? I guess that's my question. I've never heard a schedule because Wilson's better for a running back. Wilson's better. Well, Wilson's not there anymore. <laughs> so now what? And, and, and I think Hasty's better than McKinnon. I don't disagree with that. I just don't know if you want to take that chance in a game that matters this much. Yeah, I'm not playing McKinnon in anything. I'm not. I, listen, That's I take fine. it back. If I have, if I have eight guys out at running back and zero, sure. players, you, yes, you don't have to give that I'm caveat. Not. I think we all yeah, know the caveat this not, year is hardly. I'm not in. Listen, I'm, just, I'm just not in. There's been no reason to be in on the guy for five years. So like he's had one decent game in the in the last. I'm not three excited years, about so. it. I'm just saying I don't know why you sit a guy. And you're playing Jeffrey Wilson as much, and then he gets hurt. So even if you thought, well, Wilson would continue on with that momentum, and that would be a fair thought process as well. I think Hasty will get work in this game. But in a PPR league, I think McKinnon's going to have a couple receptions. He'll probably have enough yards to give you somewhere on double digits, and you start him. I'd probably be starting Hasty too, to be honest with you, against Seattle, because Seattle is basically a sieve defensively. We talked about it before. But it, it is very difficult. Well, the one thing we could take solace in is the fact that it doesn't seem to matter who – it just needs to matter where. And if you are in San Francisco, you seem to be a running back that can get fantasy points if you're carrying the football. Yeah, no, that that's that's definitely fair. But uh, for me, we'll, we'll see what happens this week. And look, it, it could be McKinnon's week. I just I just have only seen it once since he's been there. So uh, Gaskin, yeah, I mean, I was wrong about this guy. This guy's getting a lot of volume, a lot of touches. I, I can't believe that they signed Breida to not play at all. And the Dolphins are going to have to account for that at the end of the season. And look, three million is still three million. And they paid the guy to not play at all. I guess that's like their insurance policy. But I did not think that going into the year. And with the Rams toss up, but Brown scores the touchdowns, Henderson gets the catches, and Acres doesn't play. That's basically been their their story. Okay, wide receivers. <laughs> Let's go through this a bit. We we've discussed this previously on the show, but if you're just joining us, we can do it again. Brandon IU Kendrick Bourne uh, at Seattle. We'll start off with him. Deontay Johnson is at Baltimore. A.J. Green against Tennessee. Corey Davis against Cincinnati of Tennessee. C.D. Lamb has been a very got tough guy to start the last couple of weeks. He's gotten no help whatsoever at Philadelphia. Devontae Parker against the Rams. And then Shepard came back last week for the Giants and scored. And Slayton has been more or less the main target of Daniel Jones while those players, uh, while Shepard has been out. So mm-hmm. where do you want to start here? 
Well, look, let's start with those San Fran guys and just use them in a comparison because I think this is very useful right now. There's no denying that CeeDee Lamb has had the better season, right? When you look statistically, it's just where are we right now? And CeeDee Lamb becomes a very difficult start this week, I think, against the Eagles just because of where the quarterback play is. Now, look, maybe Danucci will be okay. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. We don't know. We've seen some other guys show up all of a sudden. I remember last Thanksgiving, a quarterback getting a start in Driscoll, and we're all like, well, this is not going to be good. You know what? The first half, he made some guys fantasy relevant, and a lot of people won some tournament money in DFS by starting the guy. So I would say this right now in terms of matchups, Kendrick Bourne, Brandon Ayuk, and even A.J. Green have better matchup potential in terms of fantasy points than C.D. Lamb. Now, if you want to still start C.D. Lamb over those guys because of the talent, it's hard to argue that too. But I think right now you're just trying to put yourself in the best situation to score points. And unfortunately, right now for C.D. Lamb, for Michael Gallup, people, it is a tough sell right now. Corey Davis, I think, is a start this week against Cincinnati. Uh, Devontae Parker, I would start also. It's just a matter of we don't know. So it's a little scary, but I think I would take the chance because I believe in Tua. I don't think Tua is going to have a 250-yard pass game, but can he throw a touchdown to Devontae Parker in this game? Yeah, sure. I think he can. that's possible. And if he does that, hey, all of a sudden things are going well. I would also be starting Sterling Shepard and, and Darius Slayton against Tampa. Uh, it is really tough to run the football against Tampa. So Wayne Gallman would not be a start for me this week. But what that does mean is chances are, number one, you're going to be from behind. Number two, the game plan is out of necessity having to throw the football. And the one thing you can do on Tampa is throw the ball a little bit. So I think both of those guys are in play, and I think they are startable this week. If Deontay Johnson gets cleared, there's been talk that they've been sitting him throughout just to make sure they get him for this game because how important this game is. Obviously, like I said in the last segment, if somehow he is starting, I cannot sit him. I just can't do it because so far when he's played, the numbers have been good and you're not wrong. It's been frustrating because he's missed time and he's come out of games, which is even worse because when you're in a game and you come out of a game, that's crushing because there's no making that up. It's one thing if you get hurt uh, after the game or something like that, he doesn't, you know, fourth quarter, that's different. You can plan for that. It's very difficult when a guy goes out in the first quarter, you can't plan for that and you're basically done. So those are your wide receivers this week. Craig, what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think I'm probably on on board with with most of this. Uh, again, we'll wait on Johnson to see if he plays at Baltimore. If he does, I'll play him. I, I think the most fascinating part of this for me is the notion of, and, and I'm not really sure. I'd have to go back and check like the victory lap taking on the receivers. But going into the season, there was some thought process that it was a great rookie wide receiving class, and it would be fantastic throughout the from the beginning to the start of the season. And, and it certainly looked like all of them had a shot. What's amazing mm-hmm. to me is they have been wildly inconsistent. There hasn't been one of these guys that's been good from the beginning to the end. I mean, think about it for mm-hmm. a minute. At the beginning, if I would have told you CeeDee Lamb is not going to be on the map, you would have said, are you nuts? This guy's unbelievable. Look how great he's playing with Prescott, right? Like you would have started with that. Jerry Judy, first two games. Oh, my gosh, Jerry Judy, seven mm-hmm. catches, 100 yards, touchdowns. He's going to be great. No, he's not. Claypool, four touchdowns. Oh, this is the beginning of Chase Claypool. Then he fell off. T. Higgins, maybe the guy now. Like, Higgins is the now guy. Like, he's the guy right now. Higgins and Justin Justin Jefferson are the guys with the arrow going up. Uh, Mims has been hurt. Rhaegar's been hurt. But Jefferson Uh, did nothing, right? For three weeks. Jefferson did nothing. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's been a weird ebb and flow where you can't, you haven't gotten. So far, there hasn't been, I would say, it's not a hot take, and maybe we'll have to bring this back, that no rookie wide receiver so far has had a collectively good season. I think a lot have had really good moments, but between injuries and then injuries at quarterback, 
that's a tough combination yeah. of things. And Jerry Judy had injuries at quarterback too. Let's not forget that too. So you could throw that into the mix on top of his injuries. So it has been very difficult with that rookie wide receiver class. If anything, it gives you an opportunity to buy low on some of them, maybe in dynasty leagues, but at least you've seen some of the glimpses of these guys like Jefferson, like CD lamb. They get really excited about what could possibly be looking forward in the future yeah. there. Uh, and I think that's good, but yeah, this year has been inconsistent. There's no doubt about that. Very. Yeah. And Higgins is the guy now that it's everyone's super excited about. And maybe he'll take the reins for the rest of the season. But if we're going off what's happened in the first eight weeks is then is now Higgins will slow down and then maybe Chenault will be the guy. Like you just don't know. It's it's, and it's changed so much. Too. That's another guy's been up and down. And also had a couple of good moments. And Henry Ruggs has had a couple of good moments too. No one has been consistent yeah. through eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Not none of them. Nope. It has not been close. Nope. It hasn't. All right, let's go over to the tight end position, and uh, we focus on Rob Gronkowski at the Giants. I don't know how you sit Gronk at this point. He's scoring every week. Jonu Smith at Cincinnati. Trey Burton's been hot. He's at at Detroit. Harrison Bryant. I got to get an update on Hooper before I endorse him. Tunyon against Minnesota. Irv Smith at Green Bay. Jimmy Graham uh, against New Orleans this week. Joe, where do you want to start there? Well, I think you have to start Gronk. The Giants always struggle against the tight ends, especially in the red zone. So you start Gronk this week, absolutely, especially with Godwin being out of this game. You take all you can get, and I think Gronk will be good in this game, at least good enough to have touchdown upside. Uh, John New Smith, this is a tricky one, man. He's he's healthy or starting, so I think you have to put him in there. But we mentioned yesterday, it's a lot of questions right now. What we saw last week, all of a sudden, I think he only ran 14 routes or something like that. That's not what you're looking for from Johnny Smith. Johnny Smith was an outstanding fantasy tight end the first few weeks. So is it the offensive line? Was it the matchup against the Steelers? I don't know. I will take my chances regardless against Cincinnati. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'd rather be wrong with Johnny Smith. Uh, than some other guys out there. Trey Burton, I think you could start against Detroit. I think it's all right. Bryant, like you said, is attached to Hooper, so keep an eye on that. Tanya, I think you can also uh, start this week as well. Um, and looking forward to your, to the quarterbacks, you got Carson Wentz versus Dallas, Joe Burrow versus uh, Tennessee. Would you absolutely starting both of those guys? I'm sorry. I know it's not always pretty for Carson Wentz, but I think you have to start him against Dallas. Matthew Stafford against Indianapolis, I think I would sit, but again, desperate and super flex leagues and two quarterback leagues, you might not have a choice. Baker Mayfield, I'll tell you what, you start him against Las Vegas, but here's the thing. When you're building that lineup, make sure that you're looking for some upside because you have to account for the cycle of Baker Mayfield, which is plays bad. All of a sudden, people talk trash about him. He has a great game, and then it goes in circles all the way back, and he falls off again. And that has been the cycle throughout his NFL career at very least. Uh, Derek Carr, I actually feel better about starting because of some of those numbers we threw out against Cleveland and how many passing yards and how many passing attempts and how many passing touchdowns are given up. Jimmy G is a start this week to me against uh, Seattle. And I would just watch Tua this week. I would try to avoid starting him if I could. I know not everybody has that luxury, but I know there's a lot of excitement. We're like, oh, I want to put this kid out there. He's finally out there. To me, I would just sit back, enjoy the show, and get a sense of who he is before I'd be starting him. Uh, what do you think, Craig, about those QBs? Yeah, I, I, I listen. I, I the the wind is interesting with Cleveland. Like I didn't, I, you know, uh, Jim is going to talk about that coming up as well. And that's a big factor in the game for sure. If there was no win factor, I would play Baker Mayfield. I, I thought he played fantastic. And I know it was Cincinnati, but I, I think he was building on something. The rest, yes, yeah, Stafford's got a tough matchup for sure. Jimmy G would seem to be good at Seattle. And with Tua, I hope he shocks everybody. I hope he throws for 200 yards and rushes for 50 and scores twice. It would be very exciting to see, but it is his first start. And as we illustrated yesterday, doesn't always go well first time out. We'll talk some DFS next.
sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. And welcome back. It's a big weekend for daily fantasy sports over on FanDuel. So make sure you get your lineups all set for this coming weekend. On Sunday, we got the NFL discussion coming up. As Jim Sanis will join us, we'll go through position by position. But of course, Joe is also playing DFS on FanDuel this week. And he has some very good suggestions as far as some undervalued players that you need to take a look at this weekend. Joe? Yeah, and look, this week I understand going in with Jimmy Garoppolo is a little scary because last week you look at the stat line you go, oh, geez, all they did was run the football, but this is Seattle. And you can throw the ball against Seattle. We've seen it all season long. We showed you the stats, so don't be afraid. I'll hold your hand, and you and I will go in together and dance with Jimmy Garoppolo. He's very handsome, so he's a good dancing partner, I'm sure, as well. A 6.6K for him against Seattle. Gio Bernard is going to have the backfield to himself. Is it the sexiest pick in the world? No. But in terms of touchdown upside, in terms of a little bit of reception upside, Gio Bernard at 5.9 is a really good lineup builder. And you have to understand, too, with the top of the board looking like Kamara and looking like Dalvin Cook, maybe, and and Derrick Henry, it is a real high price for those guys. They're all 9K and above, which means you got to find some salary relief somewhere. And a lot of guys in the in-between, outside of Kareem Hunt, who is in that 7 range, especially if you are buying into the win being an issue in that game, it's basically the haves and the have-nots at running back right now. So Gio Bernard with the backfield to himself, you could do worse. Corey Davis, I want a cheaper piece. So everybody's going to be in on the Cincinnati guys because they're really good value, and everybody's going to be in. Obviously, and A.J. Brown has been great. Why not get a little different with Corey Davis at 5.3 against Cincinnati, another guy who certainly has the opportunity to eat in this game, especially if John Lee Smith isn't quite 100% yet. And Mike Gusecki, uh, we had Andrew Erickson on earlier in the week. He pointed out that the Rams struggle mightily against uh, guys in the slot and anybody who catches the ball over the middle. Well, Mike Gusecki can do both of those things. He's also one of the leaders in terms of red zone targets this year, so there's upside as well with Tua. So the unknown means roster percentage will be low. But the upside is definitely there for Gesicki at 5.5 on FanDuel. All right, and we're going to talk more DFS coming up in the second hour of our show. That will do it for our first hour. But those of you who are watching on YouTube and you have your playlist all set, we're going to carry you right over to the second hour of the show. It starts in just a couple of minutes. We'll have our headlines, talk about a potential new manager with the Detroit Tigers, and also you're going to get your wish. Mike Tyson is back. Who's he going to fight against? We'll tell you next right here on Fantasy Sports Today. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 